Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. James is continuing the series in A Praying Life today. I'm continuing in our series on prayer today. Uh, the, the series is called A Praying Life. And underlyingly, my desire is that we would not just have individual praying lives, although that would be awesome, but that we would also move from that to become a praying people. So it's a praying life that God begins to speak to us, energizes us, that this connection between God, but that actually he creates this furnace of his people who become a praying people. I don't know about you, but there's been a deep churn in my soul this week. I think that's probably the easiest way of describing it. It's been a desperation. And I've had a number of times where I've just woken up in the middle of the night. And and that's not normally me. I'm not somebody that wakes up in the night. But I can tell that my soul is is troubled, it's unsettled, it's anxious. And at the heart of it, Ukraine and the the war that's going on there has dominated my thoughts, as I'm sure it has for so many of us. And it's made me aware of our fragility. We've had an interesting couple of years, haven't we? And COVID's been diminishing and it's felt like we're kind of coming to the end of one battle and then suddenly there's another massive global situation. You know, in the same way that COVID felt like it was a global situation, this war, we're watching the globe get involved, aren't we? And I personally swing between incredible gratefulness of what I have that I live in what feels like a safe nation and all that God's given me. So I've got that on the one hand and then petition on the other that as you begin to read the stories of ordinary men and women in Ukraine who are just, their lives are just being upended and the million refugees that are fleeing the country even this week into other um, neighbouring countries and, and you just sit there and you're like, oh my goodness. God, you've, you've got to move, you've got to break in. God, you've got to do something. And I think so many of us are shocked. And I found myself spontaneously praying with people far more than normal, that I, many of the, my interactions have almost been conversations punctuated with prayer. And, and that's been really interesting where it's like, you're, you're talking about something that's like, can we, just, can we just stop, can we just pray? God, you've got to break in. God, you've got to come. God, you've got to rescue. And, and the prayers, these prayers, there's nothing in them that's eloquent or beautiful. In fact, they are, they're not well-formed prayers. You know, sometimes you listen to prayer and you're like, what a beautiful prayer. These, these are far more guttural prayers. These are short, broken, often nonsensical. It's like, I don't even know what it is that I'm trying to pray, but they're beautiful and they're wordless and they're, they're honest. There's an honesty to them. They've been intercessory would be the word. And intercession is where we pray on behalf of others, where there's a situation or there's a need that we say, that we see, and we begin, to, and it's like we just begin to pray. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I think about this kind of prayer, this intercessory prayer, one of the most obvious examples that comes up from scripture and probably the most visual example would be that in the story of Moses, when you've got the Amalekites and they've attacked the people of Israel. 
And Moses orders Joshua to lead the fight while he climbs and he goes up on this hill overlooking the battlefield. And while he's there, he raises his hands in prayer for victory. And it says this in Exodus 17, 10 to 14. Joshua did as Moses commanded him and went out to fight the Amalekites while Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his arms, the Israelites won. But when he put his arms down because they were tired, the Amalekites started winning. And when Moses' arms grew tired, Aaron and Hur brought a stone for him to sit on while they stood beside him and they held up his arms, holding them steady until the sun went down. And in this way, Joshua totally defeated the Amalekites. And I think that this story models the spiritual warfare that rages behind so many of life's physical battles. Because there's what we see in the physical, but behind what's going on in the physical is this ginormous spiritual battle. That's what I truly, truly believe, that there's this deep spiritual battle going on. And it's all around us. But for so many of us, we have been almost inoculated to what's going on that we don't feel, sometimes it's like, we, we feel like we're living in peacetime. It's like, we're not. <laughs> There's a massive war going on around us. There's a spiritual war. And this is a new season that God is birthing something in this new season for us as a community around worship and, a pre- and prayer. And that, that this is time for his church, for our church to step into the spiritual battle that is raging all around, to be aware, to be present and to be available. Maybe the Apostle Paul was recalling it when he wrote in Ephesians 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And what we're seeing feels dark, doesn't it? And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So when you take a step back from that and you're like, wow, that's a cosmic battle going on. So Paul was deeply aware of this reality. And I think that's what happens as we begin to pray, as we begin to petition, as we begin to intercess. It's like we become aware of the spiritual forces of evil. And it's like, actually, this is the kingdom coming that Paul spoke so powerfully on last week. He spoke about the kingdom of God coming. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I was with a friend yesterday who told me just a really beautiful story about prayer. One of the things that we want to do in this series is we want to encourage you about the power of prayer. You know, that it's not just kind of dry, yes, we must pray more, we must pray more, but actually that we would be encouraged and inspired by hearing some of the stories of what's going on. And um, my friend, who's a pastor of another church, was so undone by what the Lord had done that I was I um, texted him this morning, I was like, oh, can I just share this story? Because I think it's really beautiful. So my friend Andy, he last week on Wednesday evening, he had a dream and he's not one to dream all of the time, but he had a dream where he was getting a haircut from a pastor friend of his in a barber's and he was in the kiosk and it was all very, very random. And so he'd had this dream. And anyway, he bumps into this pastor friend the very next day And he's wearing, this pastor friend is wearing the same jumper that Andy dreamed about him wearing in the dream. And he didn't get a chance to speak to him that day, but he drafted him an email the following Wednesday. And he says, you know, as you do with these things, you're like, oh, is this Lord really? Should I be sending this? 
is this a prophetic dream? Was this just a dream? And it sat in his drafts and he eventually sent it on Friday. And here's some of the relevant bits from the email. He says this, I rarely have dreams I remember. And when I do, it sometimes seems to be the Lord speaking. I'm not sure the meaning of this, but the night before the leaders retreat, Wednesday night, I dreamt really vividly of meeting you in the center of an old city. You were wearing a similar jumper you were wearing on Thursday and you were in a barber's kiosk cutting hair. You gave me a pretty decent haircut, if I remember. Now, the kiosk, and this is where he goes on, was in an old arcade on the opposite side of the street to the side of some kind of cathedral or Gothic building with cloisters. So this is a really specific word, isn't it? Anyway, I'm not completely sure of the interpretation, but here it goes. So he goes on. This is the response that he gets back. Thank you so much for this kind and encouraging email. It's extraordinary. Last Friday, when you sent this, I was in a barber shop part of an arcade opposite a huge Gothic building with cloisters. So what's amazing is even though it took Andy a couple of days to send the email, it comes to him. The guy who was cutting my hair as he spoke revealed that he used to go to church in London, but his wife had died tragically when they had a two and a half year old and an eight month old. It had been a crazy few years since then. We had a remarkable conversation. He said that the anxiety he'd been feeling disappeared as we spoke, we're going to stay in touch. Which is to say, thank you for stepping out and risking sharing your dream. It's remarkable. It really is remarkable in timing and in specificity. Seeing my my friend, he was like, oh my goodness, God speaks. And when we have these moments, like, I know God speaks, God speaks all the time, but suddenly to have these moments where God breaks in, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, and God just begins to speak. Um... And so we're, we're in a series all about petition, you know, praying. And so last week, Paul set up the idea of, we gave out a whole load of prayer cards um, with circles in them. And they came from the idea in Mark Batterson's book called The Circle Maker. And it's really the idea that we begin to draw circles around things that we want to see change. And so Paul put out this challenge during Lent, which has started this week. And he was like, I want you to take something that you want to see shift, uh, whether that's in your own life or a circumstance, something that you want to keep bringing before God. You want to draw a circle around and you want to keep coming back. And you could do that individually. You could pray by yourself or you could gather a few people and pray about it together. And I want you to go after that for a whole period of 40 days to petition God to see change in that area. So that's part of what we're doing during this series. But today I've called Shameless Bold Prayers. That's my title for today, Shameless Bold Prayers. And we're looking at the verse from the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread, give us today our daily bread. So we get to the place in the prayer where Jesus says, prayer is a way to change circumstances. And you can come to God and you can say, give me. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, people are generally really interested in this kind of prayer, aren't they? They're like, yes, this is the kind of prayer that I like. God giving me something. Um, So often people are open to this, aren't they? People who don't even have faith, but they're like, I've got a situation and God's got to break in. But notice, give us today our daily bread happens dead in the middle, dead smack in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. And so it's surrounded by all sorts of other statements and concepts. And you cannot understand how what we call petitionary prayer works unless you see, give us today our daily bread, 
in all of its relationships to the rest of the prayer. So it's there, right bang in the middle, but there's things that feed into it. Um, Pete Gregg, in his book, Teachers to Pray, talks about the incredible example of a guy called George Miller, who was over in Bristol, and he trusted God. He just had this beautiful faith ministry where he started over 100 schools and looked after over 10,000, started, there were places for over 10,000 orphans and um, 120,000 children went to school. So just this beautiful ministry. But as part of this, he had the responsibility of seeing the provision come in for many of these children. And there would be days where there would be absolutely nothing and they would be sitting there and (laughs) that was it. But one of of the things that George Muller did was that he didn't necessarily tell people about the need. Instead, what he did, the part of the way that he operated was like, we're just gonna pray about that. We're gonna pray and we're gonna trust that God is gonna provide. So this, give us today our daily bread, for him was a very, very real situation. And there's this story and it says this, on one occasion he stood before 300 hungry orphans gathered for breakfast, knowing there was no food in the kitchen. And he said, Grace, thanking God in faith for the food that you are going to give us to eat. Suddenly there was a banging at the door and the local baker entered carrying three huge trays of fresh bread, explaining that he'd been up since two o'clock that morning baking for them. The milkman appeared next, announcing that his cart had broken down outside and wondering if they could use his load of fresh milk. Hundreds of children got their daily bread that morning, washed down with creamy milk. It was a breakfast they would surely remember for the rest of their lives whenever they prayed the Lord's Prayer. The idea of daily bread comes from the Old Testament and where God fed his people in the wilderness with manna that only remained fresh for a day and then it went off. Um, But there is a strong sense in this phrase, therefore, of asking for today's needs rather than tomorrow's wants. Because sometimes we can take it and it's like, oh, all the things that we would love to have in life. But actually, it's just talking about very, very much about today. And as we go on in the Lord's Prayer, in verses 5 to 13, I think that they really help us, of Luke 11, they help us to unpack this little, give us today our daily bread. Um, by giving a bit more insight. So I'm just going to read the rest of the passage. It says this, Then Jesus said to them, this is verse 5 of chapter 11, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks find, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Quick reminder, back at the beginning of chapter 11 in Luke, Jesus is asked at the beginning of Luke 11 by his disciples, teachers to pray. And Jesus, like all great communicators, so he does this brilliantly succinct prayer that goes through so many things. 
And then he proceeds to tell them a story. So this is the story afterwards. And in the story, we've got a man who's in bed at midnight. And in an electricity-less culture, midnight really was the middle of the night. Now, I know for many of us, midnight's like, oh, I'm just thinking about going to bed at midnight. But then it would have been the middle of the night, sound asleep. And this man, like many of the people of the time, was living in a one-room house. There was one bed in the house, and that's why he said, I'm in bed with my children. The whole family's in the one bed. And this man who comes with the request, who comes knocking on the door at midnight, is not coming with an emergency. He's not saying, do you know what? Something terrible's happened. My wife's fallen over. She's had an accident. She's bleeding. Please help me. Instead, he says, I'm entertaining a guest and I need some bread. He knocks on the door. Now, there's no way for the man in bed, of course, to respond to the request without arousing, without everybody getting up because it's such a small place. And it says eventually, however, the man who is knocking does get what he asks for. Why? Well, Jesus says the man gives him bread, not because he's his friend, but because of the man's boldness, shamelessness. And these words, boldness and shamelessness, can kind of be interchanged a bit. Um, other ways of translating the word Jesus uses are rudeness, <laughs> discourtesy, impertinence, impudence. They're, they're good words, aren't they? I don't know what most of them mean, but they sound good. But that's what Jesus says is the model for our prayer. Pray like that, he says. And really underlying what he's saying is he's, he's like, bother God. The word bother is there. You're bothering me, says the man in the bed. And because he continued to bother, he got his bread. And Jesus says, pray like that. Jesus says it again in Luke 18, just to make sure nobody thinks that this is kind of a one-off moment where, you know, maybe we're not quite interpreting that, that passage quite right. Why would he say, you know, bother God about this? And so in Luke 18, he tells us how to pray and he uses another illustration, which is just as mind-numbingly startling. You're like, wow, there's a judge, there's an indifferent and unjust judge, and there's a wind widow coming to him to ask for justice. The judge doesn't want to give it to him. He's unjust. He doesn't really care. He doesn't really care about this woman at all. But eventually the passage says, for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, there, can you see it again, that word bother, she keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? That's the reason, for example, why Jesus likens prayer to knocking. Have you ever gone up to a front door and just knocked once? It is the most difficult thing to do in life. There is no way that it's almost like, it's really hard. You, you, you want to knock multiple times. I don't know about whether, whether you have the Amazon person that comes to your door, like bang, 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 and the whole thing rattles. Um, people do it repeatedly. They keep knocking. And unless you do it repeatedly, people, just, just one bang, you'd be like, oh, something's just fallen over. It's like, bang, 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 bang. It's getting your attention. Now, if we're not careful, this parable can feel quite confusing. It's like, oh, what do we do this? And we have to be very careful with this parable and indeed with parables about types of literary form here. A parable is not an allegory. So in an allegory, every feature of the, of the parable, or, or sorry, of the um, illustration corresponds to a spiritual truth. So you go through the whole thing, picking out, oh, well, that person's like that, that person's like that, that's how the whole thing works together. 
In a parable, there's one point. Jesus was not asked, how does God receive prayers? Jesus was asked, how do we present our prayers? How do we bring our prayers? Therefore, Jesus is not teaching that God answers prayers like the friend or like the judge. So what we're not doing here is being like, wow, in this parable, God is the unjust judge. It's like, no, 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 that's to, un- that's to misunderstand what's happening here. That wasn't the point of the parable because that wasn't the question. The question is, how must we go to God with our prayers? This is how Jesus is answering. He's saying relentlessly, shamelessly, rudely, discourteously, constantly, or in the way that I've titled it, shamelessly and boldly. That's how we're to go. So why, if God loves us and knows what we need, should we do it this way? Why, if we respect him, would we keep, why would we keep banging, bang, bang, bang? Why would we keep bothering? This is the language that's being used here. The answer is we must pray shamelessly because we're his children and we must pray shamelessly if we want to become more and more and more his children. Let me take a step back for a time in a moment. The key to the understanding this whole bit in my opinion, is the Christian understanding of adoption, becoming children of God. In verses 5 to 10 that I've just read out, when Jesus is talking about how to pray, he gives us the illustration of the friend and the relentlessness of the whole thing. But then in verses 11 to 13, he changes metaphor and he immediately begins talking about prayer in terms of family, in terms of approaching a father. Here's why. Jesus didn't say, Pray this way, our father, our friend who art in heaven. He didn't say pray this way, our judge who art in heaven. What Jesus tells us about prayer makes no sense except on family terms. Our father in heaven. So to trust and yet relentlessly bug God is something only a little child can do. And so as I come in to finish, I just want to talk for a minute about shamelessly praying, shamelessly and with boldness. So shamelessly, let me ask you this question. How do you approach God? Do you approach God like an employee or like a child? Let me just unpack this for a moment. Most people think to be a Christian is, I I make myself, I committed to God and now I'm going to do good things for him. And now as a result of that, he's going to help me. That means effectively God is your boss. Something much, much more radical happens, says John 1.12, when you become a Christian. It says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You become his child. You're adopted into his family. Adoption is a change, not of nature or even of behaviour. Adoption is a change of status by an act of the father. So now you enjoy privileges and an intimacy and an unconditional acceptance. Your whole status has changed. You've moved from being outside the family. You are adopted into the family. And there are two ways to approach God. One is to say, God, be my boss. I'm going to live a good life. Please then, because I'm living a good life, you should hear my prayer. That's one approach. The other approach is, God, be my father. I need you. Without you, none of it makes sense. Without Jesus, I am incomplete. I am not my own saviour. Hear my cry, coming like a child. So what is our attitude? What is your attitude as you come before the Lord? If you were to be really honest, do you come like an employee? There's this transaction that's happened. It's very functional. Or is it actually, 
I'm a child of the Father. In one of these, your prayer life will be anxious, your prayer life will be formal, it will be intermittent. It will only happen when you're desperate and when God comes through, you'll wonder, sorry, when God doesn't come through, you'll wonder what's wrong. When you think like an employee, when you think like that with God as your boss, that's how you feel. That's what your prayer life will look like. Because an employee expects to understand an employer, but a child doesn't really expect to understand their father. The, the child, when we come before the father, the child just knows that the father loves them. And they kind of expect the father to do things that they don't understand. I'm reminded of the words in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts and not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord's. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I was thinking about this, how incredibly other God is, in the sense that, yes, we're made in the image of God, but when you, you think about the limitedness of our capacity to understand sometimes the mind of God, I was sitting there and I'm like, I don't eat, I can't even get my head around how big the universe is. I don't know about you, but when I start even trying to get my head around the universe, I kind of reach this brick wall where I'm like, it's really big. That's where I'm going to go with it. It's really, really big. That there's, I can't even, I can't even do that. So is so much bigger. Um, so there's two different approaches. Are we coming as a child or is we coming as an employee? So that's the first thing, shamelessly. And then secondly, that we, that we have to come trustingly. Secondly, a child also prays trustingly, much more trustingly than an employee. So fathers, if your child asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? That's in the text. What father would give their child a scorpion? It's one of those moments where you're like, of course he's not going to give. Fathers don't do that. They don't give their children terrible things, do they? It's like, um, oh, the child comes before the father ex expecting this really beautiful thing and the, and the father comes like, surprise, I've got a scorpion. And so it's, it's this moment where Jesus is just trying to say, what is it that you think about your father? How do you think about your father? Fathers want to bless their children. They want the best. Therefore, if you understand prayer in family terms, your father gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. That's how prayer works. Your father gives you always what you would have asked for if you, know, if you knew everything he knows. He redirects, he says, I know you want to have fun, but this will be more fun. I know you want to have this, but this will do it. This is better. I believe that so many of our challenges in prayer come because we don't see God in this way. We doubt his goodness and indeed maybe his goodness, not just on a kind of a larger level, but indeed to us. We might even struggle with the language of father because our own father and our families have been difficult and broken. But if you watch little children and you see instinctively they do do the things that the Bible talks about here. Instinctively, they bug their parents trustingly. They expect their parents to take care of them. They expect their parents to love them. They expect to be accepted. At their best and with loving parents, they feel accepted, secure, trusting, that is no shame. That's how they come. For many of us, we have grown up 
As we've grown up, we have become more cynical and the brokenness of our situations in the world have robbed us of some of these things. Most of us have grown up and in a sense unlearnt what it is to be a child. As we get older, we're like, oh, it's not really like that. It's not really like that, is it? I've always found this analogy really helpful when thinking about petition. Imagine if you gave Aladdin's lamp to a five-year-old. Aladdin's lamp, the whole idea is that you get three requests, wish, whatever you want. It's a slightly terrifying thought, isn't it? Any three wishes and they're yours automatically, whether good or bad, whether stupid or smart. What would you do if the five-year-old got hold of Aladdin's lamp? You'd run. <laughs> You'd run as far away and as fast as you could. In the same way, although we think that we are super wise and that we know everything that is best for us, there is a trust piece that comes in prayer where we sit before as a child, this is the posture, the attitude, our father, that it has to come from that place. It's like, God, you are God and there is no other. In you, I choose to trust. You know better than me. Your, my mind is finite. Yours is beautifully infinite. You know, you know what father gives a scorpion when, to, to their child. They just don't do it. So in the same sense, our Father knows what is best for us, but he calls us and Jesus says, he's like, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep bothering, keep coming before him, come shamelessly and come boldly and keep praying because your Father wants to give you good gifts. Keep going after the things that the Lord wants. Keep praying. I'm finishing, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, Your ways are higher than our ways. Lord, we want to be a people of prayer. We want to go after the things of God. Lord, help us to keep coming before you, praying for the things that are in your heart. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.